Welcome to Simon Says Inspire, a podcast about life, leadership, and building legacies. I'm John Simon Sr. And I'm Dina Simon. Our guest today is Adrian Kohler. Adrian is a leadership engagement expert and senior partner at the executive coaching firm, Take New Ground. He coaches executives and entrepreneurs in the art and science of leadership for themselves, their teams, and clients to create new, unprecedented results and experience fulfillment in their work. Adrian, welcome to our podcast. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, this is one of the, the few podcasts that we have someone on that we've never met before. So that's a, that's a, a new experience for us. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm sure our listeners will get a, a thrill out of hearing all about you and the, the businesses that you're in. And I, I do have to ask uh, about your podcast, the Naked Leadership Podcast. <laughs> how did that come about? Well, I forget how we got to the name of it, but I, you know, we've been at it for, I don't know four or five years or something now. I mean, it came out of a handful of reasons. One is that we, kind of the big myth, I say it's a myth, is this whole very uh, very easily understood and very easily accepted view that it's lonely at the top. Now, I know what people mean by that. Sure. And, and they usually, people say it, I think, to justify the world that they've created for themselves, and they end up complaining about it. So our stand really is that it doesn't have to be that lonely. I mean, usually it's only lonely because I'm not asking for help. I'm not reaching out. I'm not, you know, really generating a world around me that I feel seen, connected with, have a lot of access to other people that are going through the same thing. So part of the purpose of the podcast has been to let people know that what they're going through isn't unique. It's it's very well known. I mean, when you decide to step up as a leader, you are standing out and you have to leave the crowd. And so there is some kind of loneliness in that, but it doesn't have to be that lonely, especially if you can connect with other people that are going through the same thing. So part of it came out of that, that to fight the despair that happens, I think, with a lot of leaders. I know I've been through that at times in different seasons of my life. I think every leader goes through that. It's probably just necessary. You walk through the desert before you hit the promised land, metaphorically speaking. So that's part of it that's necessary. But also, you know, we were always having these very vital conversations with our clientele. And we thought, you know, if we could save somebody some time, save them some pain, um, then we'd like to do that. So it's, it became this conversation that we could just share what we're learning, what our clients are learning, what we're learning with our clients, and so that maybe you can give a roadmap to people as they're walking through it and not so much of what's in all the books today and on uh, everywhere over the internet is like, here's the solution. You know, here's the formula. Do these five things. There's a lot of people that do that really well. We're not that type of people. We want to talk about what the experience is like. And like kind of what's going on behind the scenes, so like in the kind of belief world, which is where most of our life happens for us anyway, what we think about things, how we feel about things, what our experience is, both the experience that probably naturally comes to us or the one that we're curating and we don't know we're curating it. So we try to have those conversations. So naked leadership in the sense that if you do leadership well, it's going to be vulnerable. If you, you know, if you stick yourself out there and become, have this growth mindset or whatever. Yeah. So we want to just, you know, be the space in which people can listen. They can say, ah, oh, yes, that's what I'm going through. And then how do we get through it? Well, I was impressed when I started looking and there were 238 episodes out there. So uh, this is our 23rd. So we're about the 10% line for where, for where you're at. We're just learning and, and, and putting it all together. But you have a lot of experience behind you in doing it. We love it. 
You know, we we just started shifting it to, I mean, we didn't follow the interviewing people template. We've done that some, but to be honest, those are our least listened to episodes. Sure. So we've done more, what are the themes that we know people are going through that we, we could use more language around, number one. And then some uh, clients started saying, hey, you need to post on the podcast coaching, like live coaching, because that's kind of, they, they, they kept saying, you guys do the locker room talk before and after the game, but we don't get to see the game. So we've just right. started now doing some live coaching and it's it's a little bit, you know, interesting to meet somebody out of nowhere and then have a live coaching session that gets posted online. So we're learning how to do that really well, but we've got several of those up and are going to keep doing those more and more. Um, so, you know, we're always experimenting and, and the aim is just to generate resource for people. Absolutely. Sure. Keep, keep reinventing yourself. I love that, but I love the coaching, the live coaching, because that is where the magic happens. And yeah, and the vulnerability. And as you said, it doesn't have to be lonely at the top. And so as somebody who's going through it, you know, there's how many other people that are going through it. So to hear that and hear you work through those situations live and in a podcast, brilliant, brilliant. So yes, we're we're excited to have you on because you are a seasoned pro. We heard a statistic, uh, something about, you know, podcasters that put their podcast out there so many don't even get to 10 episodes. So being that we're in the 20s so far, and we just started four months ago. So we're, we're feeling good about that. Yeah. So our podcast is about life, leadership, and building legacies. So obviously, you have a tremendous amount of conversation around leadership, because that's what you do. You're helping leaders grow. Anything that you'd want our listeners to know about from a leadership perspective that you'd like to share? That's a big question. It is uh, a big question. <laughs> How many hours we have? Yeah. Right. Um, let me just start by saying I love the fact, uh, besides the beautiful alliteration, but that life and leadership and legacy, I think about these things a lot and we talk about these things a lot. So I, and I think they, they inter- intermix. It's interesting people's thoughts on legacy, I think, and you alluded to it before we started recording, that people think legacy is happens when you die. I don't prescribe that. I know you, do, you don't either. It's really the deposits you make now. They show up later. Yep. But you can live intentionally so that I mean, there's this, there's this poet named David White, W-H-Y-T-E. If people haven't heard of him, check him out. He's brilliant. And he calls it, he says, legacy is crafting your absence. Oh, and I think I, that's beautiful. I think and, that's beautiful. You know, we're family people here and I know I've, I've got a slew of kids and I'm always thinking about that. Even just yesterday, we're recording this on a Monday, on a Sunday afternoon, I sat down with my, with my two littlest ones, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we talked about our family values. Nice. And we sit down and they each made they each made a list of what what kind of family do they want to be in and so they made a list of it was it was amazing actually they made longer lists than I did they all had like 20 things and then we took those and wrote them up on the board and def flip chart just like I would with an executive team and then we we're honing them down we we're not down to our three to five yet but it's really um what was the one my my son said because I use the word aliveness a lot and he he, he described it he said aliveness is being ready to take on the world. And I'm like, no. Nice. I'll take that. That's my nine-year-old boy. <laughs> so anyway, crafting legacy is something I'm thinking about all the time, especially in parenting, especially in, as I am, I'm 43, like even the decisions I make around my own family that I was born into and the friendships I have now. And, you know, I think a lot of people as they have kids and as they move on in their careers, they kind of feel stuck and they only feel stuck as they quit wondering Right. about who they ought, who they need to or want to or desire to be investing in. So anyway, when I think legacy, I really think about relational legacy. Yeah. Um, 
And when it comes to your specific question around leadership, I mean, the core of leadership for me isn't what I'm doing with other people. The core of leadership for me is how am I leading myself so that I can lead other people really well. So it's really around, I don't know, the concept of self-mastery and self-leadership. So eventually this guy named John Maxwell wrote a book called 360 Degree Leadership and he they broke it down saying that something like 20% of leadership is leading down and then, I don't know, 20-ish percent peer and 20-ish percent leading up. But the majority of it is how you lead yourself. And they right. give lots of great metaphors for that. So that's a lot of my work with folks is they want to talk about how to how to get their squirrely team straight, but it's really they got to get themselves straight. Right. And you can't really do surgery on yourself. You know, right. you need somebody else to kind of help you see yourself. So anyway, that's that's what I love doing. And if people aren't in that conversation with somebody, it's a it's a worthy adventure, especially if there's something that's not working, especially if it's persistently not working, it means it's probably you. That's like not bad news in my view. If, if I can pinpoint the source, the breakdown is me. That's really good news because I can control me. Exactly. Right. It's much easier to control yourself and work on yourself right on. than somebody else. Right on. Are you generally dealing with entrepreneurs? Almost solely now. You know, when I first started, I'd coach anybody with a paycheck and a pulse. But, you know, over time, I've realized I love working with entrepreneurs. It's just more fun and they get me, I get them. I'm usually pretty feisty. Um, I'm trying to filter myself on this call, but (laughs) I get pretty feisty. At least I call it fierce advocacy. And most hard charging folks over time have less and less people that look them in the eye and tell them the truth. Amen. Yeah. You know, and so yep. people, people that work with me like it right in the, right in the face. They like, you know, I warn them all. I say, I'm going to believe in you so much. I'm not going to believe you most of the time. Right. Right. And they have, they have to take a second and smile. Hold on. What do what did you say? Yeah. I don't think you're lying. Not like you're lying on purpose, right. but just, you know, you're just trying to sell me what you sell your board members. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking for the real conversation. So let's get real, man. You know, yep. that type of tone. Yeah. I often stated in, and in a few of the other podcasts we have the admiration I have for entrepreneurs because mm-hmm. uh, all through my career, as I like to say, I signed the back of a paycheck, never the front of a paycheck. <laughs> right on. It, 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 you know, the, the amount of ability to build a company where you hire other people and they depend on, they depend on you as you depend on them to build the business and, and hire new people and grow the business. And, uh, and you know, I came from the, the business, we used to say grow or die. And if you're mm-hmm. not growing, if you're not growing 15% a year where you can every, uh, you know, five or six years, double your business, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and typically why I like work with entrepreneurs besides their kind of natural feistiness which I dig, and they're all brilliant. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing you know, what they're doing. That's successful. Right. Um, they also usually have needs that I'm good at helping them with. You know, in the sense that, like, I if I do anything well, I I do team really well, and I do conversation really well, and I do courage really well. Like I'm, um, I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time, and keep using myself as my favorite lab rat. And you know, so they they get really frustrated because you know. They, they can't not have the, the very human thought, which is that the natural human bias uh, is that other people think the way I think. We all sure. think that. Like sure. that's just, you know, and so therefore people are dumb in their minds, right? So if they're not doing what they would be doing, they're dumb. Instead of helping these really type A driven, brilliant people listen, 
Like they think that that's like a nice thing to do on the side if I have to. No, it's actually the cheat code, man. If you listen, especially if you, you know, listening as noticing as well, you know, we have this simple formula that let's see, P plus E plus O over C. So these are the things we're listening for. P's are patterns because we all exist in patterns. People are always naturally because the way our brains work, we have these patterns. E is emphasis and what people are trying to get you to either consciously or unconsciously. They Here's what they want you to notice. And that's emphasis. That's always strategic. And then O is omissions. What people are trying you to make you not notice, like what's being left out of a conversation. Right. And all that over C, which is context, like what the aim is, what the goal is. Listen for patterns and put language to it. Interesting. And listen for emphasis and put language to that. Notice that. They want you to notice it. And then wonder what the shadow is, what's what's not being emphasized. That's also right. probably the most powerful thing. So if yes. you can, as a leader, illuminate, you know, not only illuminate the elephant in the room and put language to it with no judgment, but like, let's point it out. And then also we call it ride the elephant. If you can ride that elephant, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gold in there from a trust perspective and from a progress perspective, also from a monetary perspective, usually, right. because- what you don't deal with, my, my business partner, Dan Takini typically says, is what you don't deal with today will dominate you later. Absolutely. And and you use the word courage, so it takes a lot of courage to lead that way as well. Yeah, love that formula. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So I know we've talked about leadership, but let's let's hear a little bit about you. So can you share with us uh, your personal story? Who, who are you? Sure. Well... I live out here in Los Angeles, California. Been here for 20 years. Got a couple young kids, a couple stepkids. I had moved out here from Illinois. I grew up in Southern Illinois, in the middle of nowhere. 8,000 people when everybody's home. One of two boys, son of two public school teachers. My dad grew up in the same town he taught in for 35 years. So kind of a small town, you know, my dad's kind of the George Bailey of my hometown, I say. Um, and love that, but I couldn't wait to get to some diversity of thought and you know, ethnically, of course, but even just like, I liked the idea of the big city. I went on to play, I played football in college at a little school called Millican university. And I didn't know what I would quote unquote, what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I was pretty good in school. Sciences came naturally to me. I thought I'd go, maybe go be a doctor, realize quickly, I don't want to do this much school. <laughs> um, so I actually got an, an interesting turn of events. I actually got a nursing degree in college. And I moved to Chicago right after undergrad and worked in a children's hospital. And I really loved that. I didn't want to go be a nurse, like, you know, wear scrubs all day for the next 30 years. That was not interesting to me at all. But the possibility of getting to go travel and getting to go serve people, I come from a big faith background as well. So that kind of, that in my background of, uh, I think, you know, there's nothing more important to me than helping the world be put back together. Like the idea of redemption, the idea of turning something around, we know we know metaphysically and we just didn't even know from the power of story that like the hero's journey is the backbone of, of human storytelling. So right. that idea of getting to step in into a difficult situation and play your part in turning something and turning, you know, beauty to ashes or whatever metaphor you want to use, that was always captivating for me. So I, I got a nursing degree and started traveling a whole bunch and just being of service to people, which I love doing. And I was just the guy, like I, even when I was in Chicago, like homeless people were some of my best friends. I'm just like the guy I walk by, let's, let's I'll sit down, let's get a hot cup of hot dogs and get to know you. And ha- having a real conversation for whatever reason, definitely part of my faith background, definitely part of my family background. We just noticed people and cared about people. My parents are really awesome. Nice. And I lived there for a little while 
in Chicago at that worked in the mostly pediatric intensive care. So wow. crazy, very difficult. What part of Chicago, Adrian? I was in the city. I was at Children's Memorial Hospital, right in the in the near north side in Lincoln Park. Okay, yeah. And I lived just two blocks away, and I loved that. At the same time, I think every conversation kind of naturally evolves, and so my own faith conversation evolved into new places. And and I I caught wind of a guy living out here in L.A. named Erwin McManus. I listened to one of his speeches, his sermons, and I thought this guy is brilliant, and I'm flexible. I can go be a nurse anywhere. Why don't I go out and get to know this guy? And he had a church here in town called Mosaic. So fast forward, I moved out to L.A. to come be an intern at this church. Once again, not knowing what I was going to do, but in my 20s, somebody told me, hey, go experiment in the right direction and you can't really go wrong. So go nice. get around, make make money, of course, but go be around great people, the people that you want to be like. Yep. And so I did that. So I moved, packed up to my mother's chagrin and moved 2,000 miles west. I was an intern here and I was you know, doing all the things I love doing, helping mobilize people into action to, that to give a crap about the world, go make it, go make it a better place. And they ended up hiring me and I, I created a whole network of about 2000 volunteers. The church was around 3000 people and I built, I built, so part of what I realized in myself is I love building bridges, making connections, and then inspiring people to go do something. So they gave me a great opportunity to do that at Mosaic. So I would, you know, build volunteer teams and we'd go serve in the city. And I, I would just tell people, Hey, give me an hour of your week. It'll be your favorite hour. Just give me an hour of your week and I'll give you an opportunity to go make a difference with somebody else. And I loved that. And with all the, anything that would go down globally, just because of how I'm wired and my medical background as well, I'd build teams and go rapid response for emergencies, you know, like Katrina happened or, you know, the earthquake in Haiti or Pakistan's underwater. I took dozens of teams to Africa. So I was just that guy that would build a, build a team and go do something great. And I loved it. And so I did that for a while. And then met a guy whose father was a billionaire. So he was a millionaire and he, um, I was just a mentor and a friend of his in his own faith journey. And he said, Hey, would you help me figure out what to do with my money? I said, sure. That sounds like fun. And so, because I was well networked and knew a bunch of great people, I took him around the world and he ended up really loving the idea of helping people who have really blown it, which meant in LA, we did a lot of gang reduction type work or working with nonprofits that were helping people that wanted to get out of the gang lifestyle or eventually followed some Catholics into the prison system here in California, which is quite extensive, and met this group of lifers. So if these 30 guys that were all, had all, most of them were murderers or had killed someone um, when they were young and now they're 40 or 50 years old and going to serve a life sentence with the, most of them with the possibility of parole, but they didn't let many guys out for political reasons. But the prison system's pretty, you know, it's a, it's a criminal factory. It's not a place of, of, of reconciliation. So long story short, I met a guy who had been doing this work leadership transformation work in the corporate setting. He had his own company and he'd also been doing his own nonprofit work in multiple different contexts, including gang reduction work. As soon as I met him, I thought, okay, you're hired. I got this group of lifers, you know, and he knows what he knew what to do. His name is Dan Takini. He's now my business partner. I just quoted him. So we went into prison and we did initial three-day training with this, this group of lifers and then trained them how to be trainers. Now about 10 years later, that program's still happening, which is rare. And whenever a new warden, cause they've had like four new wardens. And when a new warden comes in, they kill all the programs and start fresh. This one, because of the impact in these guys' lives, they would still hold trainings every week. And the point of the training is to move someone from a victim mindset to a responsible mindset. And that's the ball game. If you can get them into being responsible and not 
because of my neighborhood or the color of my skin or the fact they didn't have a dad or all those stories that justify criminality and got them responsible. Like I chose this. Here's what, let me get, let me buddy up to the horror of that, of me choosing this. They can be free, even if they're in prison. And, and most of those guys, I think, oh, I think a hundred percent, I don't know for sure. When they went up to the parole board the next time they were released because of their, their, the shift and their being their presence really in their way of being because their mind had changed and they were no longer trying to prove it. They were like owning it. We need to put Adrian in touch with Greg Jackson that we did a podcast on and he works with the prison system. He's a friend of mine here in uh, Argyle. And I love he's it. Uh, very, him and his son are very involved in it uh, here in Texas, Oklahoma, and a few other states. And That's they, great. They do, pro, they do programs that they've put together for uh, prisoners. So when they do get out, they have something to lean on to help them even start their own business. That's great. That's great. Yeah. One of our early grantees, I guess that's what you'd say it, was a gal named Catherine Hoke. Used to be Catherine something else before. She started Prison Entrepreneur Program, which was in Texas. That's where it started. Uh, so, But similar, then Defy Avengers, now Hustle 2.0. She's reinvented herself a few times. Uh, anyway, I'd love to, any, anybody in your world, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to connect. We'll make the with. connection, yeah. So did that for a while. And then uh, through that, I'd gone through all these leadership trainings, which I'm a sucker for. I love it right. all. Because you're a learner. You, you're an I'm avid learner. learner. Yeah. I'm a learner. And I'm troubled. You know, I need help. You know, so like, I, I want to feel alive. I want to be the most, you know, it's like, that's why I can connect all these entrepreneurs. They're never quite done. I'm never quite done. So anyway, gone through all these trainings, including a coaching program and um, had never thought I'd be a coach, but then I left the foundation. I thought, what am I going to do now? I could go back into kind of ministry stuff, but most of those churches wouldn't like me because I'm a rabble rouser, my grandfather would say. Or I could go do philanthropic stuff, usually much more too administrative for a guy like me. I like and I like hands-on getting stuff done. I don't like manage I'm not I'm not the guy that's wired to manage from spreadsheets and that kind of thing or just you know, PowerPoint presentations. I want to get connected to the stories and right. get connected on the ground. And so anyway, I threw my hat in the ring as a coach and you know, got twenty clients in two weeks and rocked and rolled. And that's been a long time ago now. So that's awesome. Love I it. love it. I love oh my it. Gosh. There was so much there, but one of the key things that I pulled out, I loved experiment in the right direction and you can't go wrong. Yeah. Like that was one of the things when you were young and you're like moving from Illinois to California, as long as you felt that you were headed in the right direction and took that chance and that risk and look at what happened. Yeah. I, yeah. I you know, I, I needed that idea. You know, yeah. Some people, they like wake up in the world, they know they're going to be a banker and they can just go pursue that. I wasn't that way. I, I knew what I was good at and I knew what I liked, but there wasn't like a, a, a spot, you know, it wasn't like it was a puzzle and just looking for one little piece and there's my piece and I'll go lock in for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or however. I just wasn't ever wired that way. So when, when it was actually Irwin that told me that, the guy I ended up working for, I thought, oh, that's relieving. Okay, so I don't have to have it all figured out. Aha, uh -huh, great. Okay, so get your character straight. Get your, you know, get your vision lined out, you know, use your, use your God-given abilities and go all in and then just trust the process and keep your eyes open. Don't be a fool. Keep right. your eyes open, pay attention. And then, you know, that's why I like, I've never applied for a job. I've did, they've always just kind of happened, you Thanks. know, but yeah, you know, I, I, in a world full of, also, let me sound cynical for a second. Yeah. In a world full of zombies, when you notice somebody that's alive, you're like, aha, this guy, we got a live one here, you know, and I'm always paying attention to that. I always tried to be that guy as well. It's like there's so much cynicism naturally about the way the world was or it should be or the good old days. I'm never that way. It's like, no, no, we make it. We make it straight, you know? 
and you can overcome really any situation if you're committed to making it better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There is a there is a natural flow in, in culture towards protectivism and cynicism and self righteousness. That's just human beings. We're always naturally doing that. But if you stand against that flow and decide to be here right now, dealing with life right here, throw yourself all in, daring to be optimistic, daring to be hopeful, daring to sacrifice, you'll stand out. And so anyway, enough people have had told me things like that, that I I bought it and it's worked out so far. Well, it's awesome. Love it. Wow. That there's there's a lot there. I, you know, you talked uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. about no, that's no, good. no, that's that's great. I mean, it you know, you talked and, and in in your line, you got to be a good listener mm-hmm. because people will tell you everything if you they listen. Will. What happens too many times? People just want to talk and yep. they don't want to hear hear the story. And once you hear the story, that's when they you know you can start doing the things to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But I, I, think I, 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 like, I like your, your tagline. Yeah, if you want to grow, go where you don't want to go. Yeah. And in that, even what you talked about in the work that you've done with gangs and things of that nature and people in prison, but that whole victim mentality, I mean, you have that, we have everybody, well, not everybody, but there's so many of my coaching clients, right? It's like, okay, you have to put that victim mentality aside and what can you control? And you talked about that too. The one thing that we can control is ourselves. So how are we growing? How are we learning? Um, right on. Yeah, yeah, love well, that. Well, you, you probably experience this. I mean, I do too. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, but I'm prone to that. You know, it's just, and, and we're wired. I just think, let me get my thoughts straight here. There's five at the same time. I mean, we we naturally want to blame something else or someone else for what's happening. And that's just I think, wired into us. We've seen that from the earliest narratives about human beings. Even if you just take the the Jewish scripture around, there's two people in the Garden of Eden and things go sideways and whose fault is it? They're all pointing fingers, right? So as, as soon as we started talking to ourselves as human beings about what we are like and what we think, we start blaming things. So anyway, we're all like, I think, prone to that. I know I am. Even when like my kids are crazy i want to blame them for it instead of saying okay man why don't you relax why don't you be the grown-up in the room don't be a toddler why don't you be the grown-up in the room so anyway we we're all just wired that way and prone to that and either i mean we call it in our work we call it hugging the cactus like if we can see the sides of us that we'd rather not see and then not only see it but own it like put our arms around it it'll hurt a little bit i.e the cactus it'll hurt a little (laughs) bit but if i can you know if i can realize that any moment in time i can act like the victim and i can own that and then there's a lot to learn from it it's usually where that happens is where i'm most vulnerable and if i lean into it instead of trying to blame my way out of it there's so much more that i can get out of it but also i could be an example i mean my kids know if you ask if you ask my kids what's dad allergic to they won't say pine nuts or whatever. They'll say whining. Oh, I love it. Because <laughs> they've awesome. heard that about about five hundred yeah. times. You know that. I, I, oh, hold on. Are you whining? Okay. When you're ready to have a real conversation, I'd love to help you if you'd like some help. But if you just want to complain, can you do that in your room? Okay. Thank oh, you. Oh my gosh, I love you that. Know, right. so I'm kind of love a pain that. in the butt type of dad, but that's awesome. But you're not. I just think of the teachings and again your legacy and and what your kids are experiencing. I think it's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, and love that you're building your family values and what what mm-hmm. is that and narrowing that down. I mean, just what a great life experience for them. You, you talked about the good old days. And, and yeah, say our, our old chairman when I worked, Reese Overcast, he'd say, you know, the good old days weren't always that good. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. And, and, 
And, and his philosophy was, uh, he always called the three eyes, and you have to have integrity, intelligence, and intensity in mm-hmm. running your business. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. We, we live we live the three eyes every day. Yeah. That's cool. I like that intensity part. I was talking with a client today, and he's he's a, a big he's a big player in a big family business um, out of New York City, and he's taking over one of those businesses. He's going to make a, he's making a big move for himself. You know, he's kind of in that situation where he wouldn't really have to do anything, but he's stepping up after he and I started working together, just because he was you know he's just bored and kind of full of despair, like you are if you don't have something in front of you that you're committed to, whatever that is. It could just be right. a hobby, but something you're committed to. And he so he decided to throw himself into something which is great. And it's going to turn around. They're getting a big, anyway, he's doing a whole bunch of work and he was getting ready to sit down with a guy on his team. That's just not working out. And he was hoping that, you know, the guy was going to like see it for himself and like kind of excuse himself. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, well, why don't he, and he, what did he say? He said to me, he said, I'm not going to lie to him. I said, I know, I know you're not going to lie to him, but that's not the high bar. You know, the high bar is to go tell him the truth with love yep. they go yep. tell them the yep. truth that's the that, that when you said <laughs> yeah. intensity that that came back to mind because it takes guts back to courage it takes yep. guts to just go be honest right yeah it takes a lot of right. faith to go be honest it takes a lot of respect to be honest you got to respect yourself there's like there's a lot in there of course that's a five-hour conversation yep but, but if you decide to be intense about it which i dig that then you know life gets a lot simpler it doesn't have to be so complicated right right and everything that you just said from a trust perspective all of that but also just that is healthy, right? Like just to mm-hmm. be able to be honest and be truthful and say like, no, do you know how you're showing up or whatever the yeah. situation is? Because that person may not actually know that that's how they they're showing up. And that's those life-changing moments. Like, whoa, I didn't realize that that's, you know, how people how people were engaging with me. And that's actually not how I want to be showing up. I mean, just, yeah. So that's where courage and trust and all of that foundation comes in. Love that. I, I, I refer to it as tough love to yes. the uh, people that work that work for me when they come in and they'd say, well, I hope we do this. And let me tell you, hope's not a strategy, pal. We got to sit down and get this figured out. <laughs> is that where That's I great. learned hope is not a strategy? Because I use that all the time. Is that where I learned that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Love that. Well, Adrian, we, we also have a lot of Chicago roots. So, John, they lived in the oh, Chicago yeah. area. I have a lot of family there. So, love that you're originally from Illinois. Yes. Yeah, I love Chicago. Love Chicago. I I grew up in Southern Illinois, so four hours south of Chicago. So, our big city we okay. go to as kids was St. Louis most of the time. Sure. But as soon, sure. as, I get, as soon as I got to Chicago, I fell in love with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we lived there for 14 years, and it was great. So, the big question, deep dish or thin crust? Oh, I always went deep dish. I don't know if that's the there right answer on this call. Lou Lou Malnati's. Yes, Lou Malnati's. Lou's is always my favorite to go. And Portillo's, uh, you get mm-hmm. the beef sandwich and you have to have the dip with the uh, hot pe- with the peppers on it. So. Yes, sir. Yeah, when I first did, my, I did a summer internship in Chicago when I was in college. I lived on the west side, lived in North Lawndale. So nice. there, was a, there was a guy named... Wayne Gordon, I haven't spoken his name for a long time, but a guy named Wayne Gordon, who was a guy that he was who went to Wheaton, came into Chicago, only white dude in a whole like three mile radius, started a church there called Lawndale, North Lawndale Community <laughs> Church. And he recruited, he talked to Lou Malnati and said, Hey, would you put a pizzeria in my neighborhood? Because wow. nobody nobody touches my neighborhood. But would you come do it? I'll promise you we'll you'll be successful. So when I first moved to Chicago and did that summer internship and taught a kids program and all the stuff you do. There was a Lou Malnati's like two doors down. So I, I became a believer really quickly. Love that. Uh, 
Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. We, we still get it delivered. We do. 1-800-LOSE-TO-GO. They'll ship to California. We might have to send you some to thank you for being on the podcast. I promise you I'll enjoy it. Okay. All right. <laughs> My final thought is, uh, people that are listening, first off, be gracious to yourself. We're all struggling. You know, life is tough. That's true. Things are complex. You know, that's just true. So if you're really hard on yourself and most hard charging leaders, your own worst enemy is in between your ears. So if you haven't heard this today, if you're listening, just be kind to yourself, number one. And number two is get some help so you can raise the bar because otherwise you're going to die with a bunch of regrets and, and life is too short for that. And we don't know how long we've got. We might as well make it count. So if it's us at Take New Ground or somebody else, reach out for help. That's the most heroic thing a leader can do is ask for help. I agree. Love that. Exactly. Amen. Well, Adrian, it's been awesome to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. This is such an honor. Thank you, Adrian Kohler, founder of Take New Ground and also podcast host of the Naked Leader podcast. We will make sure we share all of the notes in the show notes so you know how to get in touch with Adrian. But we've loved this conversation. What an amazing personal story, leadership story, legacy story, and just so great to have you as part of the Simon Says Inspire network. And thank you for joining us for the podcast. As always, I thank my father-in-law, John Simon, for being my co-host. And until we talk again.